Amen. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, a lead pastor here at Hope, and uh, we uh, just celebrated recently our, our four-year uh, birthday party. And uh, today, I guess, uh, my wife my wife bought some cake because uh, yesterday was my birthday. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you. I know. Congrats. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, 36. 36 years old. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so... Uh, anyways, we'll have cake afterwards, so feel free to, to join us in the uh, uh, fireside room. I know there's no fireplace in there, but that's what it's, what it's called. Uh, anyways, we'll be in there, so glad that uh, we can do that. Fun fact, uh, today is Brett Favre's birthday, in case you were interested in that. Which is, uh, I always remembered that. I always remembered that uh, my whole life, so... All right, uh, this is week six of Hosea. We've got uh, three more weeks, and we'll be uh, picking up the pace a little bit more as we uh, go through this book, uh, but several more, ch- more chapters, but we'll be, we'll be taking much bigger chunks uh, of this after, after we get on. Uh, one question I have for you, and you can feel free to say something or not, uh, but do you have like a favorite holiday recipe or food? Like when you, when you go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, like if that thing isn't there, you just get mad. You know what I mean? Like anybody, anybody have anything like that? What do you got? Lefsa. That's not true. Not a chance. I want to see you eat it. Prove it. Prove it. Uh, what else other than rotten fish? Oh, I'm thinking lutefisk. Okay. All right. Lefsa. All right. Lefsa is a little better. Lefsa is a little better. All right. I can hear that. Okay. All right. You don't have to prove that. Sorry. I got, I got my, <laughs> my Swedish food mixed up in my head. Uh, I'm that way with like cranberry sauce. My mom makes a, a really good like homemade cranberry sauce. I don't know how you make cranberry sauce, but she does, and that's always delicious. Anybody else? Anything? What else have we got? What else have we got? Divinity. Divinity? Is that like a dessert? Candy? No, oh, I've never never had it. I'll have to try that too. Dip my lutefisk in it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I say that because uh, this is one. I don't. I don't know if people. Um, uh, eat a lot of fruit, fruit cake. Uh, it used to be a lot more popular back in the day. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this raisin cake, uh, whatever it may be, I know that a lot of people like cinnamon raisin cake, you know, we, we do that. You know, Costco has a nice little cinnamon raisin bread that we get a lot, and that's, and that's good. But what's interesting, though, is Hosea uh, today is going to condemn <laughs> fruit cake, all right? Uh, and and we'll, we'll understand, and we'll get a little bit of understanding why. And so uh, this year for Christmas, if you're one of those families that has uh, some kind of fruit cake or, or tasty raisin cakes, as Hosea calls them, uh, just remember that's bad uh, and don't eat it. Um, no, we'll, I'll, I'll explain that uh, when we get into Hosea. So again, I don't want to spend a lot of time recapping except this week at it, it, there's a little bit more, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but uh, again, you've got these two kingdoms. So Israel was unified under Saul, uh, the king. It was already kind of, it was just kind of these city-states. And then uh, King Saul, the first king, was chosen by the people to be the king, not because he was qualified to be king, but simply because he looked like a king. He was taller and bigger than everybody else. And, there, and of course, that makes someone a leader. Uh, and so uh, he becomes king and then ends up failing miserably, uh, does some things completely against uh, the law of God. That, that he had given Israel, and he does things and acts like a priest, and therefore he's no longer allowed to be king because he did something that he wasn't allowed to do. And so that's when we have King David is chosen and anointed with the Holy Spirit uh, to become the next leader of Israel. He makes some horrible mistakes, 
uh, and uh, commits adultery, uh, commits murder to cover up his adultery. And then he has a son, Solomon, uh, and, and he just lives a, a life of debauchery, uh, has uh, 700 wives, 300 concubines. It's just a mess. Uh, and you have massive idolatry that happens. He starts building false temples and, and sets up false gods uh, to uh, appease his wives and, and other people that were now moving into Israel. But it becomes very wealthy. And it's not too much longer than after that that he has a son, uh, Jeroboam, who becomes the king uh, of Israel, but then the kingdom splits. And you have Jeroboam, who's the king of Judah, and Rehoboam, who is the king then of Israel in the north. And, and uh, so we have this, this split. And so it's only four generations of kings that everything just goes south, uh, that the, the nation kind of splits. And so you have, it's called Israel, again, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And we're going to look even at a different um, uh, prophet today who's going to be a prophet to Judah. Uh, but Hosea specifically is a prophet to Israel and to the northern kingdom. And, and he's going to say some things and he's going to live a certain way to demonstrate how God feels towards his bride, towards Israel. And, uh, and so we get at the beginning, again, we've read this verse every week, but this is the whole point. This is the, the main thrust of this story is in Hosea chapter one, verse two. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for she, like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so we've been using this language of this prophetic performance art that Hosea is called then to go physically marry this woman. Uh, he's called to have children with this woman, and he's going to name them uh, these names. And so the first child is Jezreel, uh, which was a, an area where there was a lot of just death and battles and just and, and bloody. And it was a it was a place that nobody nobody wanted to go. You just don't you just don't go to Jezreel. Uh, it had this really negative connotation. And he says, God Yahweh tells uh, Hosea, I want you to name your firstborn son Jezreel. Uh, the second child that is, is low Ruhamat, you, I want you to name your child not loved. This is an actual human being, an actual child walking around with this name of not loved. And then the third child, I want you to name your child Lo Ami, you are not my people. And so this prophetic performance art or, or that he's actually doing this thing to represent God's relationship with Israel and saying, I want you to name your children this because this is how I feel about my people. That they disgust me when I just hear the name Jezreel, that they are no longer loved, they are no longer my people. And I want you to name your children that to represent how I feel with Israel. And so last week, uh, the sermon of restoration that everything kind of changes. And so I'm just going to reread uh, what we looked at last week, verses 21 through 23 in chapter 2, and it says this, In that day I will respond to the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, and the new wine and olive, olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. That there's a, a changing of a name. There's a, there's a, a renaming that no longer is Jezreel going to be this negative, awful thing. It's going to be redeemed. It's going to be restored um, the way it should be. And it says, I will plant her for myself in the land, and I will show my love. I will show Ruhamah to the one I have called, not my loved one. There's this renaming that, that God says, you are going to cheat on me. You're going to be unfaithful, but I'm still going to pursue you and I'm still going to love you. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. 
this week we it kind of shifts a little bit. There's been a lot of poetry and 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 Hosea speaking on behalf of God. This is a little bit more narrative this week, though. So we kind of get back into the story. And so this week's sermon is in chapter three. It's a whole chapter. It's a small chapter, uh, one through five. And so you can feel free to read along with me. I will have all the scripture up on the screen if, if you didn't bring a Bible, which is fine, or if you'd like to follow along electronically, that's where we will be. So Hosea chapter three, and we're getting back into the story. We're, we're following up again. We're, we're seeing now another chapter, if you will, uh, I guess literally and physically within their marriage with Hosea and Gomer, his wife, Gomer, this adulterous woman. So let me just read the passage and then we will, we will jump into this. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. All right, so, well, sorry, just read, just read. Then I'm gonna come. All right, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. There it is. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. And I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or his household gods. And afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. That is our text for this morning. This is Hosea chapter three. So let's, let's look at these tasty raisin cakes. What is going on <laughs> with this? Why does he even bring this up? So again, verse one of chapter three, and the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. So Hosea had been with Gomer and you can read between the lines here that she was continually unfaithful. And even though she bore him three children, she has left again. And maybe it seems like she leaves in between each child. And so she is left again. She's living with somebody else as we're gonna see. That even though that she is loved by another man, and I don't think this means I, am, I, I love you because I care for you. I think this is a purely physical thing that's happening. Even though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they in turn, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. What are these? These are, this was uh, uh, an image, it looks like a flatbread, uh, lefsa, uh, with some raisins. <laughs> And, uh, and it's interesting because when we read in our text, it says they, they love the sacred raisin cakes. Uh, it can be translated, they love love cakes. That was kind of what they were called. They were, they were called love cakes. Uh, and this is an image of Asherah. And she uh, was a goddess that was married to Baal. Her other name was Baal, Belial. Uh, that she, she uh, was married to this false god and a goddess of reproduction and sensuality. And so what would happen is people would go to her temple and they would commit some acts that we're not gonna necessarily get into the details with, but part of the sacrifice they would give was physically with their body, but then they would pour out wine and they would give and set, give these, these raisin cakes, these love cakes to this goddess. And so the issue here isn't that, they, that, that raisin cakes are bad, right? That cinnamon toast crunch is bad. That might be a stretch, but whatever it may be, right? You can't have raisins and bread. It's a no, that's not what's happening. So I wanna go back 
Uh, and a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul uh, was preaching, and he went through this. So this is Scott Duvall's thing, and I, and I use this all the time when I when I teach. And and even I, even though if I don't necessarily put this up on the screen, it's how I walk through a lot of passages. And so, if you remember this, great. But and, and we've again we've used this before. But I, I will hope that this just gets seared into your brain. And that first point again is grasp the text in their town. And so when we read Hosea talking to his to the Israelites, and he says these tasty raisin cakes, right, are, are a bad thing. Grasping the text in his town meant don't make these tasty raisin cakes to offer as a sacrifice. It's idolatry. That doesn't mean, right, so a lot of times when people read their Bible, what we like to do, and I think what a lot of times is easy to do, or maybe even fun to do, is we start with number five, which is grasp the text in your town. What does it mean to me? And we can look at Hosea, and then and what do we do? We sit around and say, oh, what does this passage mean to you? Well, here's what, it, here's what stood out to me. And that can be a good thing, but a lot of times we skip grasping the text in their town, gauging the width of the river, what, what's cultural, language, things that are going on here, what covenant are we in? And then we cross this principalizing bridge, but then number four is consent, consult the biblical roadmap. Has this been brought up before? Are there other passages that talk about tasty raisin cakes? In fact, yes, there are quite a bit of tasty raisin cake references in the Bible. And then what we do is we, we don't just stop there and then grasp the text. We look at the cross and we say, how does this, how can we look to the future? How can we look to Jesus and then grasp the text in our town? And so the principalizing bridge here when we read this, again, isn't cinnamon bread is bad or raisin bread is bad. It's idolatry is bad. That's what the principle is and we get to the heart of the cross. And so uh, let, me, let me just read, just for, for context, this is Jeremiah chapter seven. This is a different prophet who's gonna be, that, that image of, he's gonna be a prophet to the southern kingdom. Uh, and he says this, and this is gonna sound really harsh, because listen, as for you, do not pray for this people, it's talking about Judah, the southern kingdom, or lift up a cry or a prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? So Judah, specifically in the southern kingdom, Jerusalem was in that area of Judah. Do you not see what they're doing? What are they doing, Jeremiah? What is this horrible thing that they're doing? Verse 18, the children gather wood and the fathers kindle fire and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. That's Asherah. What is this evil thing that's going on? They're making raisin cakes. Their whole family is doing this together to give these sacrifices to the queen of heaven, this Asherah. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. It is I whom they provoke, declares the Lord. It is not themselves to their own shame. Therefore, thus says the Lord, says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast and upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. And so Jeremiah and God is given a really strong warning again, very similar to what's happening in Hosea. That happens a lot in the Old Testament, but as we've seen, also happens in my own life over and over, and that is idolatry. That I take something I clearly know is not God. Usually it's something that I've created. It could be a job, it could be my children, it could be a lack of children, it could be a desire for children that I don't have, it could be a desire for a spouse that I don't have, it could be your spouse, it could be fill in the blank, good things that I desire that are just idolatrous. That they take the throne of God and I replace God in my heart. 
So let's uh, keep going through the text here. And we're going to see this idea of Gomer, Israel, being bought back from slavery. So in verse chapter 2, chapter 3, it says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leketh of barley. Uh, so again, there's, well, let me just, there's a quote here that I have from, from a gentleman, a commentary. He says this, The price paid is too small to be a probable dowry wherewith to buy a wife from her parents. Uh, obviously, in our, in our uh, culture, Western culture, way of thinking, whatever it may be, this is very foreign. Uh, and, and we would hear that and go, that sounds demeaning, right? I got to buy my bride or, or pay something for my wife. Uh, culturally, uh, especially back then, that men were the ones who got jobs. They were the ones who had an income. They could work to do things. Women didn't do these things. They cared for the home. They took care of it. Uh, they had to go get the water. They had to cook the meal. It was a full-time job just to, to, to do that. Uh, and so what would happen is that when a wife would have been bought, that they were given this dowry, a large sum of money, uh, or uh, something of the, of the, you know, a flock of, of goats or something like that, uh, to, to provide an income uh, that no longer this woman is able to do at their home. That she is not there to work at the house anymore, so therefore there's an exchange. And, that, and so again, that sounds very different uh, in our culture, but just, so let me just read this again. The price paid is too small to be a probable dowry wherewith to buy a wife from her parents, but it is just half the price of a female slave in money. Okay, so there's 15 shekels is half the price of a female slave in money and the rest of the price being made up of grain. And this is a law that's enacted in Exodus chapter 21 uh, that you have this, this offering. If you don't have the money, you can subsidize it with some type of grain. And that's exactly what's happening here. Hosea pays this for the redemption of his wife who has become the slave of her paramour. I had to Google that one. It's a French word for, for, for lover or sex slave. That's what she is. She's a sex slave. Uh, and that's exactly what's happening in this text. The price being half grain was because the latter was the allowance of food for the slave and of the coarsest kind, not wheat, but barley. Israel, as committing sin, was the slave of sin. So the author here, this, this uh, commentary, uh, he's, making the, he's making the connection where he's saying, just as she was committing sin and she was in slavery uh, to this man, that's exactly what Israel is, that in their committing sin, that they are a slave to sin. But then this last phrase I, th I find very interesting. The low price expresses Israel's worthlessness. So that's exactly what's happening. That we have Israel who is in slavery to sin. You have Gomer who's in slavery to this man and being bought back by a, for a very low price. And the low price then expresses Israel's worthlessness. Moving, moving on here, it says, bought back from what you got your worth from. In verse three, it says, then I told her, you are to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way toward you. And there's a little bit of uh, of confusion with this within different commentaries and among pastors, we, we weren't all fully on, in agreement when we were going through this passage. That is, something's happening here that is, Israel, or excuse me, uh, Hosea is saying, I'm going to redeem you. I'm buying you back. You used to be this way. You were, this, you were a slave in this way. And now that's no longer going to be the case. 
Either Hosea says, we're actually not even going to be intimate together, but I'm going to remove this entirely. And what you once got worth from, that in this relationship, whatever it was, and however it, it, it was being you know, acted out, she got value out of that. This is what she was valued as by this man was for this reason. And now Hosea is saying, I'm going to buy you back, but not for that reason. I'm going to buy you back because you're my wife, because I love you, period. Not because of, of I want to use you in some way, like this other individual. That she's redeemed from this sex slavery. The one thing that she was wanted for and used for is now taken away. Um, and so now then we get this another glimpse of Hosea doing this prophetic performance art part two. And that could be himself specifically uh, abstaining from his wife sexually. Uh, but there are other implications where it says, go and love your wife in verse one. And so it's not very clear. But either way, he redeems her. He buys her back and she is now with because then the text here then switches. It says four. For the Israelites will live many days without king. Right? So it seems like something's being taken away from Gomer the same way that something is being taken away from Israel. And, and so here the, the prophecy that Hosea is giving us is for the Israelites will live many days without king or without prince. That even though that right now, currently they have king, they have Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all these different kings that we, if you remember in, in week one, uh, and looked at all these different names of kings, it's all going to come to an end. There's no longer going to be a king. They're going to go a long time without a prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones. These have been things that happened in the temple without ephod. Ephod was a, was a thing the priest would wear, this, this chest plate that had these stones in it. Or household gods, that was uh, these false gods that the Israelites started using as well. That they're going to go without all of this. There's not going to be any worship. I'm going to, even though I'm with them, even though they're in the land and, on the, and I've fulfilled my end of the deal and the promises, I'm not going to be with them. They're not going to make sacrifices. I'm going to refrain from having a relationship with Israel the same way Hosea is going to be doing with his bride. That there is, again, this prophetic performance act that Hosea is doing something to represent God's relationship with Israel. What's interesting though is that when we look at this verse, we got to think of the timeline. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. Uh, but it says that, uh, it says afterward the Israelites will return after a long period of time. And we know based on the timeline, there's going to be 400 years of silence, that there's nothing. The temple's not, there's no worshiping going on. It's, it's just silent. God is not there. He's abstaining in that way. But there's going to be a time where Israel will return to the Lord their God and David their king. When Hosea wrote this, King David had already been dead for hundreds of years. So why is Hosea saying they're going to go back to David their king and they will come trembling to the Lord and his blessings in the last day? Well, we did this a couple weeks ago, but I want to go back to the Christmas story. We're close. It's close enough. It's October. We're allowed to talk about baby Jesus. Uh, little six-pound, five-ounce baby Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, uh, just starting off in Luke chapter 2, it says this, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, census. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph, this is Jesus' father, earthly father, also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth to Judea, which was in Judah, the southern kingdom, which he was part of, to be in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. 
that over and over and over in the Old Testament, we have this promise of someone from the line of David who's going who's gonna to rise, who's going to be king, and everyone who's waiting for it. Everybody's waiting for someone. And, and even this in Bethlehem, they knew about these prophecies that Jesus, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and everyone's waiting for it. And what happens? This little baby is born in Bethlehem. But everybody was like, no, no, no. It's not going to go down like that. There's no way the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, there's no way the Messiah, the one who's going to redeem Israel, who's going to put them back as a powerhouse in our nation and, and establish us and kick out the Romans, there's no way that that person, that that Messiah is going to be born as a little baby in a manger. Not my king. And they weren't expecting this. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. No one was expecting this. They wanted a king. They wanted someone from the line of David no one was expecting a child to be born of low report that he gave up his crown. We're just saying this. He gave up his crown for our souls. It's <laughs> exactly what happens. So again, I would just the kind of last point to grasp the text in our town to give a little bit of application as we move forward. What does this mean? Again, it's not about raising cakes. It's not about, it's, it's idolatry to dethrone whatever false God that we have in our heart. But I want to go back to this Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. So, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leketh of barley. And again, that quote there to show the low price expressed in Israel's worthlessness. But you have these 15 shekels of silver, and then you have the other half of this that's going to be weight in a grain. But when you combine them, it's the full price for a slave, which is 30 shekels of silver. And when we get to Jesus, when we get to this king, the one who set aside his crown for our soul, a king who is born and placed in a manger, a feeding trough, now we see that this price that would have been used to buy someone out of slavery to express their worthlessness is the exact same price that Jesus is going to be betrayed. When we look at Matthew chapter 26, and we start reading verse 14. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. It's exactly what's happening in Hosea. It's to express his worthlessness. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. I think there's sometimes we read these passages and we get, and get into Hosea and we just read over this. Gomer was bought back for this price, but we got to consult that biblical roadmap. We got to look what other places, where do we see this someone being bought out of slavery? And the beautiful thing about the scriptures is it tells us over and over and over again, I say it every single week, that we have been bought out of slavery. But it wasn't 30 pieces of silver that paid for my freedom. It was the blood of our Savior. It was the one whom all the Israelites thought, you're worthless. There's no way you're the king. The religious leaders, the preachers, the pastors of the day said, no, he's a false teacher. He's a false prophet. 
He doesn't obey our rules, our man-made rules, and they seek an opportunity to betray him. So, in application, Jesus was worthless in the eyes of religion, individuals, whatever it may be, and he paid the ultimate price, the ultimate priceless cost for your soul. Every single week at Lower Town, we do communion. We have communion. And I think sometimes it can become a habit. Uh, it, it can become uh, something that is just mundane. I'm just going to take these elements again. I'm just going to open it. I'm going to eat the wafer. I'm going to drink the juice. And I'm going to pray my prayer and, and ask for forgiveness of my sins. But what I want to do this morning, as we're taking these elements, as the, as the worship team sings these songs, uh, two songs, we partake of these elements, that we would think about the ultimate cost, that we would think about the blood that was shed for my freedom, that I have been set free to be free. And how have I been set free from my sin and death to slavery and sin? By his blood. And Jesus said that as we take these elements, as we drink the blood, the juice that represents his blood, as we eat the bread that represents his body that was broken for us, that was the price that he paid so that we could be free in him. Uh, if you weren't able to get the elements, they're out in the hallway uh, when, you, when you walk in back there. And, and uh, I love free to protect these elements. You don't need to be a follower of, uh, sorry, you need to be a follower. You, know, you can just do whatever you want. Uh, that's not true. Be a follower of Jesus to say, no, I've, I've bent the knee to King Jesus. I recognize his worth. I recognize that even though I feel worthless and ashamed and guilty, no matter what it is that I may have done in my past, that Jesus saw value and worthiness in you because of what he has done. And it's with his blood that my sins are paid, not by anything I can do. I can't even pay 30 pieces of silver to pay for my sin. Can't do it. He pays for my soul. So it all I would ask that you be a member. Uh, sorry, man, I don't know what I'm, you don't have to be a member. <laughs> that, that's what I'm trying to say. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church, but you just be a follower of Jesus. Uh, that's what we'd ask. And uh, maybe you've never had communion. Maybe you've never taken these elements or you, so that was kind of weird. Uh, I don't understand. Is it actually the body of, of Jesus? Is this actually going to turn into his blood? No, it's not. We remember, remember what it is that Christ did for us thousands of years ago when he pays the ultimate priceless cost for my soul. Let's pray, and then we will sing a couple songs together as we partake of these elements. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning and, and looking at a, a shorter passage in Hosea. I think a passage that sometimes, I know myself, have been guilty of just reading, uh, reading the narrative and moving on. Uh, but I thank you that we have just the time this morning to, to take a break, to pause, to look at certain things, to look at um, false idol worship, uh, and so I pray that now as we're partaking of these elements, that we're remembering what it is, the ultimate price, the ultimate cost that your son did for our souls to set us free, that we would remember what it is that he did and that your spirit would bring to mind things in our lives that are idolatrous, things that have replaced your son on our heart, that we've replaced you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords who died for my soul, and I've replaced you with things that are made things that I've made, things that you've made. I've replaced the creator with the creation. And so I pray you'd bring those things to mind. I pray that we'd confess them. And God, you have promised that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins and not just forgive us, but then cleanse us, clean us, make us pure 
from everything that is wrong. So God, I pray that we would remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for our souls. We pray these things in Christ's most precious name.